Welcome to Unwanted Guests, the podcast that teaches you about insects and other pests that may join you in and around your home. It's brought to you by Texas A&M AgriLife Extension and the Texas A&M Department of Entomology. We're your hosts, Wizzy Brown, Bryant McDowell, Molly Keck, Robert Puckett, and Janet Hurley. Welcome to this month's podcast, where we're going to be talking about these little flying creatures called moths. And they're not just any moss. These are a little bit smaller than the normal ones that you might see come in your home during the spring and summer looking for lights. These particular moss either live in your closet or in your pantry. Who would like to talk to us about the clothes moth? I, I guess I can I can start rolling with that. Um Clothes moths are, I mean, both of these, or I guess all of the moths that we're going to talk about today are what are considered stored product pests. It's just depending on, you know, what particular product is stored. And so a lot of people think, I mentioned, you know, they're usually in either, you know, closet where you're storing woolen clothes or something or in your pantry, but they can be in other locations of your home, depending on what you have in your house. So I know in my house, my husband is a hunter. And so we have uh, deer heads and I think a javelina and, you know, various other things. So we are um, definitely having a animal based protein source that would be for those uh, moths to feed on. So it's not necessarily that clothes moths are only feeding on clothes. It's that they are feeding essentially on natural fibers. So typically if they are feeding on clothes, it's going to be something like silk or wool or leather, or if you have feather boas, does anybody wear feather boas anymore? Um, if not, maybe they should, they need to come back. Um, but it, it's going to be some natural based thing. And depending on your furniture, even like I said, the taxidermy animals could be a problem in our house, but there are also like antique furniture. If you are somebody who likes that and collects that, some of that furniture used to be stuffed with horse hair and mm -hmm. that can be a problem. Um, or if you have wool rugs or wool carpeting. So like I said, this, it's not just closet. It's not just clothes. It's just, that's typically what they're on because most people have moved to synthetic fabrics when we're talking about um, carpeting and things like that. So it's tends to be less of a problem. So we have two basic types of clothes moths that we deal with when we're talking about pest control. And essentially, in my opinion, they pretty much look very similar <laughs> to each other and they're very difficult to tell apart in the adult stage. They're both going to be a small moth. So if we're starting with the webbing clothes moth, it's going to be kind of a pale, creamy, white, golden color. And they have a, I call it Don King hair. So they got a big poofy, fluffy 
head, I guess. And that one's kind of more of a orangish reddish color. So they would be a ginger. And, you know, you can't really see eyes and whatnot. The antennae are going to be long. And the wings are going to maybe be about half an inch. So they're not terribly large moths. And that's if the wings are outstretched. So if they're folded back over their body, so the moth is in a triangle shape, it's going to be anywhere from a quarter of an inch to a third of an inch. So these are little t tiny moths. Whereas the case-making clothes moth adult, <laughs> it's smaller than the webbing clothes moth. So even smaller there. And that one goes from, um, I'm going to say, I hate doing measurements here. <laughs> I'm going to say maybe three-eighths of an inch-ish. <laughs> ish. Um, but they're smaller than an almond. I mean, these are tiny. Yeah. They are TT tiny. So with the case making clothes moth, they are going to be more of a, um, I'm going to say tan ish color. And they have three dark spots on their front wing. And then they also have a fringed, I don't know, like hairs or something. They have fringe coming off of the wings. So on the front wings and the back wings, they have this fringe coming off. So for webbing clothes moth, you look for the Don King hair. For the case making clothes moth, you're going to look for the fringe on the wings. And then the larvae, I'm going to say eggs are going to look pretty much the same for both of them. They're small, white, difficult to see. But the larvae on the webbing clothes moth versus the case making clothes moth can be really easy to tell apart because the case making clothes moth actually will spin a case that it kind of carries around with it. So if you see a larvae dragging around this little spun case that's usually made out of um, the silk and then whatever material that they are feeding on. So it's often whatever color of whatever they're feeding on. Um, that's going to be a case making, but the webbing clothes moth, the larvae will go out and kind of wander around and eat whatever it's eating. And then it has somewhere like a little silken kind of mat on whatever it's feeding on. And so it'll go back to that to rest. So that's why we call it a webbing versus a case making, but they are both going to feed on natural or animal based fibers. And like I said, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's just clothes. So this is often why people used to store clothing in cedar chests or cedar closets or putting mothballs in with their stored clothing. This was essentially done to keep these uh, clothes moths out of those stored natural clothing or textiles. And this is also another reason why if you think about uh, spring cleaning and how they used to take the rugs and stuff in their homes and they would put them over something and then they would beat them with those like paddle things. That was another thing where they're getting rid of whatever might be in that carpeting, not only the dirt, but it can also be the moth and they'll kind of leave them in the sun and let them kind of get out of that stuff. So there was a reason that people used to do that sort of thing. But since we have moved more to 
synthetic fibers, then we have changed the way that we deal with things. But like I said, if you do have natural protein-based textiles, then you're going to need to store them properly, make sure that you launder them uh, correctly or dry clean them based upon the label and just keep an eye on them. Uh, this isn't something that I'm going to say everybody's going to encounter, but it is things that people can get into their homes because these, the, the interesting thing is, because this is the question that we often get, well, where do they come from? <laughs> so they can actually, when we're talking about the clothing moths, they can actually be found outdoors in things like old bird nests or rodent burrows or wasp nests or different things like that. Because again, these are protein-based materials that they're going to be feeding on um, rodent hair or bird feathers or whatever. And so they can come in from those spaces if you have a you know, crack around the door, or if you, I don't know, bring, you can also bring them in. So if you're bringing something that you bought secondhand and you went out antiquing and you bring something that is infested, then you have an infestation. So you do have to be very careful about what you're bringing into the home. We have talked about that repeatedly on uh, previous episodes, so I'm not going to expound upon that anymore. So does someone else want to jump in and talk about control? Well, I was going to just tell, I, w I have a personal experience with these. And when you mentioned bringing stuff in, that's how we thought that we got them. And they can be very destructive before you realize how destructive they've been. So my, my husband is also a big hunter and he went pheasant hunting. And um, when you go pheasant hunting, they make fun of the Texans because they're like, oh no, you don't, you don't, um, you don't taxidermy the things you shot. You taxidermy one that was raised on a farm. So he shot pheasants, but then to bring one home, he had to like buy it. Like he went into their little kind of store and bought it. And we think that's what they were on initially. And from there, just because of kind of the radiation as they spread through the house and they ruined that poor pheasant looked like it had mange. It was just had to be thrown away. Um, and then they went up to an elk and you could just pull clumps of their hair out. And so um, it was very expensive to replace all those things. Um, but I, I hear people say back and forth a couple of things that, you know, it's, you, it's impossible to control them. Um, but we found that it was actually fairly easy. Um, I did notice that they were getting, that I had little, little naked spots on like my wool um, coats. And so one thing that you can do in your room, um, in your closets is just move your clothing around a little bit, move them around on the racks, um, change them off to different spaces. Those things that are made of silk or that have wool and those protein fibers on them. Cause they don't like change. And I think Wizzy, you said you can also, um, dry clean these items and they'll, um, go away there. There are pheromone traps that you can purchase. And I just had, um, a guy that was dealing with them in, uh, he had a lot of wool suits, like lots of them and cashmere and just real fancy clothes. And he um, uh, put out some traps when he moved into this new house and he was collecting tons of them in those traps. And I suspect they weren't just in the house. I think he was doing like what you mentioned where they were outside somewhere and they were coming to those pheromone traps. Um, so sometimes those pheromone traps are great, but sometimes they kind of give you a false um, positive or um, not even a false sense of security, but a false sense of panic. 
Um, and then beyond that, if you contact a, a pest management professional, you can kind of fumigate individual items. There are ways that they can seal these items up in plastic or some sort of a container if they have them and utilize different, um, uh, I don't want to say aerial, but, um, uh, you know, kind of a, a gas type of a, a pesticide that then will kill those things and then you can replace them back into your home again. And if you are dealing with this sort of stuff, I mean, you're obviously, if they're in your closet and they're feeding on your clothing, take all of the stuff out, clean everything real well with a cleaning solution, a vacuum, get in there. And that can really cut down on the population very quickly if you are very thorough about that. And then, you know, clean every your whatever they're infesting before you stick it back in there. And, yeah. you know, that could possibly take care of the issue right there by doing that. So that's definitely something that you would want to look into. Um, yeah. One thing we, we did was we actually vacuumed the walls. We moved, you know, yeah. pictures and other things that were tight up against the wall and kind of tried to suck up any residue, whether it was a larvae crawling around or eggs that we couldn't see. But you're right. You don't have to fumigate and tent and douse your house. There are ways you can use some physical control to, to um, help manage them. I was going to say, if you know you're the guy that's got, or the gal that's got some, maybe you moved from the north to the south or something like that. But if you know you've got certain things, yes, you do move things about. There is a reason for spring and fall cleaning, and it does have to do with even scattering about some of these moss. Because you want to make sure you're not getting things or... Maybe you are moving things about, or you, again, helped clean out mom's or grandma's closets. Because, you know, you were talking about natural fibers, and I got to thinking, you know, there are still some um, plush rugs that you buy that you mm -hmm. can't do all. And, yeah, we can vacuum, but that's not getting everything. Right. Well, I, I've had reports i mean it's obviously not my house and i wasn't dealing with this personally um but there are people that have wool carpeting throughout their house and when it comes to these infesting the wool carpeting and that is everywhere in your house then that's going to be more so of a problem than you know if it's just a rug <laughs> which could make things very difficult the other thing is when you are storing any type of a clothing, like if you're somebody that actually puts away your woolen sweaters or cashmere, sweat, cashmere sweaters, uh, because we don't need them year round in Texas, you know, make sure that you're storing these properly. Store those in a sealed container, um, not just a cardboard box. And I know a lot of people like the cedar chests and cedar closets. But while those can work on repelling them for a certain period of time, that cedar smell does not last forever and it's not necessarily strong enough to repel the moths constantly. So that is something that you're going to need to refresh on, um, on a somewhat regular basis, which, you know, if you have a, a cedar chest or a cedar closet, you're not going to replace that so I, I don't know how if there's like a spray or something but there's also 
the repellent things that you can do if you are choosing something like mothballs then you need to read the label and follow the instructions because you don't just chunk those into a closet or the attic or um, a box that you're storing stuff in because they can actually damage the clothing. So you have to make sure that they're encased in something. So definitely read and follow the labeled instructions on that. All right, so transitioning from your clothing and furniture, let's now talk about the pantry pest, which is more of a pantry moth. And we'll let Bryant tell us all about these cute little critters. Cute until you have them, I guess, right? All right, so pantry moths. Pantry moths are going to be found in the pantry or kitchen area. They're going to be attracted to plant materials. So unlike the clothes moths are, are attracted to your animal proteins, these guys are going to go for things like flour, grains, pasta, uh, old spices, and pet foods. Um, I've commonly seen them in like old dog treats, uh, bird seeds. So I know people who have birds and they kind of just let that seed accumulate in, in the pan or the tray. Uh, you can get different insects in there. One of those might be a pantry moth. I uh, had them in macadamia nuts real, real bad. So they'll also get into like greasy. Really? Um, kind of. Yeah. You know, they're I a little bit greasier than like peanuts or something. Yeah. I, I also saw um, like dried fruits, like, like raisins, you can find them. <clears throat> So compared to the clothes moths, uh, you can kind of you can tell the difference between the two based on normal, you know, morphological characteristics, how how they look, but also, um, you know, when they're flying and and where you're finding them. So clothes moths are going to be those nighttime flyers. You're very rarely going to encounter them during the day. So if you're encountering a moth that's you know flying around during the day, you know you're going to be dealing with a pantry moth. Um, so one of the most common pantry moths is the Indian meal moth, uh, compared to those clothes moths we were talking about. This is a larger moth. It's about a half inch long. Um, the larvae are going to be whitish. That's what you're going to find in the food source. Um, the larvae are then going to leave the food source. They kind of crawl up walls, what have you, they will pupate. Um, and then once the adult emerges, the adult Indian meal moth, uh, is going to have kind of a tan whitish uh, top portion of the wing that's closer to the head. And then as you go further down the body, it's more of like a, a reddish coppery uh, color. There's there's a striking line, you know, right down the middle of those wings. Life cycles. So their life cycles are pretty short compared to clothes moths, what I found. So clothes moths, they can vary up to two years from egg to adult. Um, pantry moths, you're going to have usually um, a more consistent life cycle, about 25 days from adult to egg, uh, sorry, egg to adult. Um, I did want to mention, how did they get in my house, right? You get that question a lot. So pantry moths, uh, they can be picked up and brought home from either a grocery store or a pet or if, uh, feed supply store. Um, usually, you know, when food products uh, are are sitting whether or not you know they're at the farm or the garden or during storage or transport to shops when they're sitting for that amount of time they can become infested um maybe you've purchased uh, some grains you bring that home you might have not even seen eggs or larvae 
Um, and then all of a sudden you open up your pantry and you have this explosion of, of moths, you know, coming out flying at you. Um, so the, the key is finding that food source um, and, and eliminating that um, so you're not continually breeding uh, new, new moths, new generations. So um, usually it's the oldest thing in your pantry that you have completely forgotten about that um, Indian meal moths are really any pantry pests are going after. So, I, you know, don't buy a 50 pound bag of beans, pinto beans, when you know you're going to only go through a few ounces, you know, in the next three months. And and that's general rule of thumb. I tell people is if you're not going to consume it within two to three months, then buy a smaller amount because now it's more attractive to these um, pests. And if you did accidentally bring one home from the grocery store and it had an egg in there, then now it's had a chance to breed, grow, make more of themselves, and then infest your other items. So it's, you know, if you're going to save large amounts of food for long, long periods of time, then the best way to do that is to store it in a refrigerator or a freezer. Because even if you have it in Tupperware, um, there's a chance they can still squeeze their little bodies in, or, or like I mentioned, they're already in that food. But um, once they're in there, you you really just want to toss it. There's not a whole lot of nutritional value left in it, um, and it's just, I mean, they've they've eaten it all and they've defecated in there, so it's going to taste terrible. It's going to taste like rotten or stale food, and it's um, not going to give you any value at all. So one thing I did want to mention about control methods with these guys as well. Um, because the larvae are a bit more mobile, um, they're leaving that food space to go and, and pupate. Um, once you've removed that in the infested food, um, let's say you've removed it and then a week later, uh, you know, I'm still seeing adults flying. That's probably normal because you're now seeing the larvae that have pupated and are now emerging as adults. Now, you still want to get rid of those adults and make sure that there's not, like Molly mentioned, you know, food laying around that they could potentially reinfest. Um, but it would be normal to still see then adults flying for a little while after you've, um, and, and this is probably more for an intense infestation. If you have a real heavy infestation of Indian meal moths, when they go to pupate, they are everywhere. <laughs> That you'll see them like crawling out of, if they're in the pantry, they'll be out of the pantry and they'll start pupating like where the walls join or up near the ceiling. And they're kind of like in those corner spaces and you'll see their little pupil case with the little larvae behind it. And usually if I see that, I just take a broom and squish them. So my, uh, hopefully my parents don't, nobody who knows my parents listens to this, but my parents had, they, they, my mother has a hard time recognizing that she does not have four children that are eating inside of her home anymore. So she's, she has a really tough time buying smaller amounts of food and food sits there. And they had a wild infestation of Indian meal moss to the point where I was like, that's it. I'm coming over one day and I was cleaning out their um, pantry and, and I bought them pheromone traps to uh, help figure out like, are they not in the pantry? Are they somewhere else? And, and that's why we can't get this under control. And those pheromone traps are really nice for monitoring, but you can actually, if you put too many out, you can actually confuse them. The, they, the males think it's a girl and they get stuck on the sticky part of the trap. Um, and they are go, obviously going there to try to get a girlfriend. 
But if you put too many of those pheromone traps out, then you confuse, even if you don't catch the boys, you confuse and they can't figure out where to go. And so then they just die exhausted trying to find a girlfriend. So uh, uh, an overload of pheromone traps can be controlled, but that's like, probably nobody wants to do that in their house. Um, but what I was going to say about my parents' infestation, we, with those pheromone traps, we narrowed it down. It's definitely heavy in the pantry. And we went digging, I went digging through things and you know what they were on was an old, old, um, container of, um, fried onions. Like you put on top of your green bean casserole and I opened it and I was like, I think I found ground zero. Cause like, once you find that ground zero and you get that out of there, then move a little bit further from that and start throwing that stuff away. But you've got to find, like Bryant said, the, the initial infestation and get that out of the house. I'm just glad to know. I don't, I'm the only one that doesn't have parents that have problems in their pantry it's it was, good to know that we all have this issue it's a it's a content my mother also likes to buy bird seeds so it's that and she keeps her dog food inside the pantry with their food because the dog's bowl is right outside so it's just a, a combination of of too much food too many things close by and it's a it's just a people thing you know like it's the thing about pantry pests and even clothes pests or clothes moths is that it's not a um you're not clean you're not you're not buying fresh food or anything like that it's just it's a human thing you've just it's almost like it's a um an excess thing you you have enough money to buy enough stuff and things can get ruined i understand storage for storage i mean yes we all want canned goods for when we have a ice storm or something but there are certain products that, again, you don't want to store for more than the shelf life. And I mean, going through your pantry, again, we were talking about spring cleaning. Looking at the expiration date on items, that's a good indication. I mean, if you see something, flour, rice, um, pinto beans, whatever, I mean, I realize some of this stuff seems like it it won't ever go bad, but depending on your humidity levels in your home, how are you really storing it? All that plays into how, how many insects actually learn to thrive in an environment when we're not paying attention. Well, another thing to maybe look out for could be like your your attic space. So let's say you have like a rodent problem. Um, if there's excessive animal fibers or they're bringing in, you know, food, grains, what have you, that can also harbor other insects that, that will infest um, th those food sources. That's another way that they can also be like in various locations around the house. So if you had a rodent nest in your attic or a bird nest in a chimney or something, they could be feeding in those locations and coming out in some weird, unexpected location. So again, you may need to look in more places than just the closet in the pantry for these. Well, thank you everybody for joining us this month to learn more about those little bitty moths that be flying in your house, like we said, you can either have those that fly in, in and around and are attracted to natural materials, or you could have the other moth that's attracted more to grains and beans and such. Do know this, they're not that bad if you get control of them quickly. 
for more information on how to control our pantry pests, reach out to us at extensionentomology.tamu.edu, and we'll be happy to talk to you there. Thanks and have a great day. Thank you.